this current series, the mini-series that we're doing on just is uh, purpose in the pain. Um, and so it's very relevant um, message series. It's probably just going to be a couple of weeks, but just it was really kind of born out of, uh, I guess, a desire as, as uh, one of the pastors here, a desire to kind of minister to our folks that have gone through a lot of difficulty and are maybe going through uh, difficulty, pain, suffering, uh, as well as anybody. I mean, this is just a universal thing, right? Uh, we, we live in a world where there is suffering and where there is pain. And so I think there's uh, every one of us can relate to this, uh, whether it's immediately in our lives right now or we will experience it. So um, this is sort of a pastoral series, I guess you might say try to minister to all of us. Uh, to We have to have a proper framework, I think, a biblical framework to understand uh, and, and process suffering. Uh, otherwise, uh, I think it's, it would be easy if you don't to, to in a sense, lose your faith, to, uh, to be shipwrecked, uh, to use the Pauline term, to be shipwrecked in your faith uh, because uh, of not having maybe a proper biblical view on suffering. That's a big topic, right? Books have been written on this, volumes. Uh, and so this morning and next week, I'm going to be painting with kind of a in broad brushstrokes, okay? Um, I was watching a series of videos that had been put up on YouTube um, recently, but they were recordings of a, a woman by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. How many people have heard of, heard of Elizabeth Elliot? Okay, number of you. Well, she is the wife of, uh, well, she herself actually was a missionary before she was ever married, which I learned through watching those. But uh, her husband and several others were killed uh, by a a group of people that they were trying to reach where the name of Christ had not been, the gospel had not gone to this region of the world before um, to their knowledge. And uh, her husband and several others were killed. And of course, there's been a movie made about it. Is Is it the tip of the spear? Is that the movie? Is at least one of the movies that's been made about this? and uh, she went back to that village where her husband and others were killed. And actually, you know, the gospel went out through her. And just an amazing story. But uh, in the midst of all that was a lot of suffering. And um, she shares uh, in these series of uh, video teachings that she did for um, Ligonier Ministries, uh, she shares kind of some of the lessons that she learned about suffering. And uh, that got me thinking about the topic and really some of the things she said. You know, when, when somebody has been through what she and others who've been through a number, quite a bit of suffering have been through, they really um, speak from a depth of their relationship with God that he gave them because of the suffering. And so it just really struck me that this is something I think maybe we need to talk about. We need to look at the scriptures and maybe be reminded of, uh, you know, is there a purpose in the suffering? What is it, right? Um, why is there suffering and pain and so on? So that's kind of where this is coming from today, okay? And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask for him to help us hear what he has to say today. Heavenly Father, I just come to you this morning and ask that you would help me to convey uh, your truth. And Lord, help me to do it in a way that's honoring to you and true to the word of God. But Lord, I pray also that you administer to us and to those that might be watching and listening that maybe this is something that is really maybe a little too near 
to their life than they'd like to admit is this, this suffering and pain. Maybe they themselves uh, have experienced it firsthand right now. They're going through some great difficulty, maybe battling a disease, maybe suffered um, a miscarriage, or uh, just been hurt by someone else. Uh, maybe uh, we're talking to somebody today that's endured a level of suffering and pain because their parents did not love them as they should. And so there's just all kinds of experiences we have in this life that are painful. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to hear your heart on this subject, hear what the Word of God says, Lord, and minister to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, um, I'm not saying that this is the definition for suffering I'm going to give you. I did take it from Elizabeth. I, I, um, I get, it's, again, it's not meant to be like a Webster's Dictionary for suffering, but it's fairly all-encompassing. Um, and here's what she said in her talk, which I thought was interesting. Suffering is having what you don't want. Uh, that's the first part. And I think that, you know, maybe we can all probably identify with that as, as something, well, maybe we've got a disease we don't want. Or we've got a life situation we find ourselves in that we don't want. Right, so it's suffering, having, having uh, what you don't want, or wanting what you don't have. It's maybe the lack of something, and and I get it. You know that um, you may not attribute like suffering to that, but I'm just saying this is the definition she used because I think there is when we're in maybe a life situation where we don't have something that we feel we really need, we feel we're suffering. We feel that pain of lack, right? Um, and so, so. Just starting off with that, um, and, and then I want to talk about here, the Bible has an, an, a, gives us little glimpses uh, of just this topic and maybe some of the reasons for suffering, okay? So I want to hit on some of the reasons for suffering, and then I'm going to kind of end with several things I think God is trying to say to us in our suffering, okay? So I want to give some reasons. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. Again, I'm not meant to try to to uh, cover everything on this topic that's ever, you know, that you could say, but just to give us, I think, a framework. So one of the things, one of the reasons for suffering is just the natural consequences of our own sin. So some of the suffering we endure is because of things that we have done, okay? Proverbs 22, verse 8 says, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. That's the first part of the verse, right? So Proverbs is that way. It's very much, if you do A, B is going to happen, right? It's, it's very much the book of consequences, positively and negatively. And, you know, the, the, the wisdom of Solomon, you know, the wisest man who ever lived, you know, God gave him that level of wisdom, right? Uh, he, he's laid out here and basically uh, saying, listen, if you living a life that's unjust and that's, you know, hurtful, you're going to reap that. It's kind of like you reap what you sow type of thing. And so uh, some of the suffering we encounter and pain in our lives is self-inflicted, if you will, okay? And so that's one of the reasons uh, for uh, suffering. Another reason for suffering is, is consequences from the sins of others, from the sins of others, right? Uh, some of you kids, I bet some of you kids that are in here are thinking, hey, I wonder, has your brother or sister ever hurt you? Raise your hand if that's happened. Yes. I mean, if you're breathing, it's happened, okay? Right? Yes. 
Okay. Others, you know, sometimes our brothers and sisters, you know, uh, either A, because they don't know better or just because our own sinful nature, we hurt each other, right? That happens. Well, so sometimes we are hurt because someone else did something to us. And that's, you know, we suffer sometimes because of something someone else did, okay? And that's just a reality. Now, I tell you what, this would be a great, uh, I'm giving some assignment to parents. You guys are going to love this. If you want, you could read, and if you don't have a picture Bible or one of the Bibles that's usually read to your kids, we've got some back here. Uh, see me afterwards, I'll get you one. But the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 through 50, uh, an incredible story about a man who uh, these people just did all these terrible things to him. I mean, you think you got it bad with your brothers and sisters? His brothers sold him into slavery, okay? You're at least here. That has not happened, okay? But his brothers sold him into slavery. I can't imagine that. Um, you know, earlier on, you know, his, because his father favored him, his brothers, of course, didn't like that, so they bullied him, right? Uh, and and uh, then, of course, like I said, he, he, uh, they sold him into slavery. Then, uh, fast forward, someone else falsely accused him of a major crime, right? Potiphar's wife, right, accused him of rape. And, of course, it wasn't true. Um, and so just, uh, and then he got thrown in jail for that. All these wrongs done to him, he suffered. Um, and, and so we just see that as an example. Now, I'm going to reconnect with Joseph's story here a little bit later. Um, but, you know, we see that as an example. Sometimes the suffering we, we endure is because someone else did something wrong. Someone else made a bad choice, okay? Now, another reason... Uh, for suffering is that it's just the fact that we live in a fallen world. Now, fallen just means, you know, this world that we live in is not uh, the way it was originally meant to be. Um, if you go back and you read in Genesis about the fall of man where sin entered the world, now we are living in a world that is beautiful, but it's not all that it was meant to be, okay? Uh, and so if you Read in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 20 to 21, it says this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, um, are, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now listen, here's the part I want to get to. For the creation waits with eager longing. Isn't that interesting how, you know, you, you, he, the, Paul's writing in a way that he's, He's talking about creation as almost like a person. And he says, creation longs for something, right? And it, he says here, he says it longs for the revealing of the sons of God. And then it says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. See, when sin entered the world, it corrupted not just people, but our universe. The natural world was affected, okay? And creation, as a result, and there's consequences of that. Think of disease, viruses, things like that, right, uh, are, are a result of just living in a fallen world, right? Uh, what's going on just reminds us. This is not the way it was meant to be. And as believers, we have to remember, this is not our home. 
All right, this is our home. Our home is with the Lord, okay? Now, so just realize that some of the suffering we endure in this life is because we live in a world that's fallen and a creation now that is, though beautiful, is not as beautiful as it will be when we receive the new heaven and new earth, okay? Now, another reason for suffering is sometimes because of suffering, Satan is at work, okay? Now, this is really, if you want to read an interesting, I mean, a lot of all the parts of the Bible are interesting, but the book of Job, the opening part of the book of Job is just fascinating to me. Um, and I'm going to just read a little bit to it, uh, a little bit of it to you. Listen to the first verse, Job chapter 1, verse 1. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz. You guys ever heard of the land of Uz? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Not Oz. It's not, it's not the Wizard of Oz. Uh, it's the land of Uz, okay? The land of Uz, whose name was Job. And, there, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So Job was a great guy. You know, everybody would want to be his friend. He's an upright person, who feared God, loved God. So, and then it goes on to explain basically how God had blessed him. So if you were, if, if we're rich, now when people think of being rich, they think of you know, money in the bank account, uh, lots of property or something. But a lot of times we just think of money, right? Well, so what was the, the money of the day? Livestock, property. So back then, having lots of camels and donkeys, right, and sheep, if you had a lot of those, you're rich, Okay. They didn't carry around a wallet. You had sheep, okay? You had things that you could trade. And that was your, the degree of your, how, how, how rich you were. So he had 7,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep, right? That's a lot of, that's a lot of lawnmowers and other stuff, okay? Um, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female, don- female donkeys, and a lot, of, a lot of servants and helpers, okay? Very rich. Uh, and so... Fast forward now, and this is just fascinating to me. We get a glimpse into the world we can't see, the spiritual realm. It's almost like God peels back uh, this layer of reality. He lets us look in. And what's happening is Satan's coming in, and he's going to talk to God, okay? And uh, this is not a story. This really happened, okay? I think we, it's important for us to realize that. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered, the Lord said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Right, so even God himself says, hey, have you seen my man? Job, he's a great guy, isn't he? Right? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? In other words, he only loves you, God, and fears you because of all you've done for him. Right? And then he goes on and basically says, hey, you take that stuff away from him. He's not going to praise you anymore. He's not going to live for you anymore because he's only doing it because he's rich. And he says, oh, look what God gave me, right? So that's a paraphrase, but now move forward. Here's what happens. Verse 13, now there was a day 
So, so basically, sorry, Satan asked to have permission to afflict Job, to basically try to prove to God, Job's going to curse you if you take this stuff away, right? So now we have verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters, Job's sons and daughters, were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother, at their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them, and the, and the Sabaeans, that's the name of a group of people, the Sabaeans fell upon them, right? They attacked them and took them and struck down the servants in the, with the edge of the sword. And, he, and this, the, the guy that's reporting this says, and I alone escaped, right? So there we have that, um, right? So, so they took all the oxen and then killed some people, right? And he says, I'm the only one that escaped. As soon as that happens, then he says, while he was still speaking, there was another Another person came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. I mean, they just burned up the sheep, right? 7,000 sheep like that. And so then it says, while he was yet speaking, right? So the first person comes in finishes, right, he was still speaking. The other person gave, tells about the next calamity. And then, right, so, so we have the sheep gone and next comes the camels and then go on down. And it says, while he was, this is verse uh, 18, while he was yet speaking, there was another, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. So all this, I mean, this you talk about a bad week, or actually a bad day, right? He's losing all of his wealth, and, of course, the, the worst thing is he loses his children. They're dead. Right? I mean, this is terrible. Uh, this is suffering, right? There's no question. Uh, incredible suffering by Job. And so... Um, I'm just pointing this out. Of course, then after this, uh, Satan gets permission to afflict his health and affect his health. And he has boils all over his body. It's so bad. He's scraping himself with pot shirts, right? And it's just, it's just a, a terrible situation. And so I'm pointing this out as the quintessential example of sometimes the suffering is a result of, of there is some attack, spiritual attack going on, okay? All right, now, another ex uh, reason for suffering is we're experiencing God's discipline, okay? That's some of the things, the, the pain that we experience is because we're being disciplined by God. Take a look in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 to 11. Here's what it says. Hebrews 12, 6 to 11 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every soon who, son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the fathers is not disciplined? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. In other words, you know, I hope that you don't go around disciplining other people's kids. Okay? That's not how it works because you're not their parent. Okay? Now, you might want to, but I'm saying you don't do that, right? Okay? So... He's saying, you know, 
uh, we receive discipline from God because he loves us, right? And that's what all discipline uh, should be to train in, uh, in righteousness. And God wants us to, sometimes he will uh, um, allow, bring this pain into our lives to discipline us and try to maybe wake us up to the fact that we're going down the wrong track and we know it, but he's trying to wake us up, right? And so we just need to realize that. And of course, actually in verse 10 of there in Hebrews 12, it says, for they, they meaning our, our, our uh, earthly fathers, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed uh, best to them. But he, meaning God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. In other words, I realized that, hey, no, not everybody had a great upbringing. Sometimes their parents abused them, right, in, in terrible ways. But God, our Father, is not like that. When he disciplines us, he disciplines us out of love, always out of love, okay? All right, so sometimes it can be God's discipline. Now, like I said before, I, I don't expect for this to be an exhaustive list of reasons for suffering, but this just gives us a little bit of understanding about what some of the reasons could be for the suffering and pain that we experience in this life. Um, now, before we move on, I think it's important for us to, when we think about all those reasons for suffering, we have to realize those are all surrounded by what we call the sovereignty of God, that he's in control of everything that's going on. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works, now listen to this, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, he's saying he works all things according to the counsel of his will. All right, I'll be the first to admit to you guys, this idea, it's not an idea, this truth, okay, this truth is hard to swallow when you think about all the suffering, right? Because what this says is that all things are basically filtered through God's hand. All of those reasons and whatever all the reasons are for suffering, including our own sin, the sin of others, what Satan's doing, all of that is under God's control. Isn't that interesting? I mean, but that is true. See, because I, I mean, I think the way we should look at this is that either God's in control of everything or he's in control of nothing, okay? He's either in control or he's not. And that means of everything, including what's going on with our suffering, okay? Now, um, I, read a, I read something that John Piper wrote about this, and I, I, this is good. He asks a question, and I'm going to ask us the same question. Um, he says, which world would you rather live in? So we're going to say, okay, you got, you got world A or world B. World A, he says, one where humans or Satan or chance govern what happens to you. Okay, that's world A. Or world B, one where an infinitely good, infinitely wise, infinitely powerful God works everything together for the good of those who trust him and for his glory. Well, hopefully you see as a believer in Christ that it's the latter, right? It's, it's, I'd rather be in the hands of the Lord enduring suffering than in the hands of chance or humans or Satan himself, okay? So, and so I think John Piper's just trying to point out 
This is the, this, even though this might seem strange to us that God is in control, even over the, even, even working within the sins of others and even, even uh, with what Satan is doing, he's working through all of that. Well, he's saying, well, which world would you rather have? <laughs> A God who's completely in control of that or not? And so uh, it's just good to realize that as Christ followers, if you're a Christ follower, we, we, are, we are saying, we need to say, I trust you, God, even though I don't understand how you will use this suffering for your glory. Because we don't, we don't have all the answers. We, you know, we can ask lots of questions of God, but we don't always get answers that we're looking for. We don't want to know why. Why is this happening to me? Why now? You know? Um, we, we, we usually don't have the benefit of getting an answer to many of those questions. But what we do know, hopefully, is God himself in the midst of the suffering, okay? So now, uh, that kind of brings me to the part where I want to talk about what I think that God wants us to hear from him in the middle of suffering and pain, okay? So the first part really is just more kind of trying to paint some kind of a framework that we can see that the Bible talks about suffering. Okay? That God's in control and he works through all those different uh, reasons for suffering. But there's a quote from C.S. Lewis, and some of you may uh, be familiar with this. Um, he wrote this in his, in his book called The Problem of Pain. And it says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And uh, that's very insightful, I think. I know it's not scripture, but there's truth there, okay? It's, it, there's truth there. He's saying, listen, um, isn't it great when we can enjoy life and we see God in that? And isn't it great when, you know, the Lord, he speaks to our conscience, but boy, when we experience pain and suffering, it's as if God is shouting and he's trying to tell us something. Now, you know, that's from a human perspective, okay? But uh, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have endured great suffering in their lives and would say they've grown closer to God in and through that suffering than they had at any other time. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it, but maybe you could testify to the same thing. Maybe you have been through things, painful things that you could say, yeah, you know, God, he really drew me close in that very, very painful time, you know? And so um, so here, here's uh, some things I, I, I want to tell you. I believe God is trying to say to us in the suffering. So these are some things to really keep in mind, all right? So this is not just doctrinal stuff like we talked about before. This is really... Um, and doctrine's important, by the way, because you've got to have the right framework to, 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 to see reality from. But now we're getting down into the brass tacks of how we respond in the middle of suffering and pain. And so, uh, so what are some things that we need to hear God saying in our suffering, right? If it's the megaphone of God, uh, according to C.S. Lewis. Well, we need to hear God saying, I'm with you. I'm with you in that suffering. All right? Um, I love Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, which says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Okay? And what I take away from that verse is, A, there's no escaping 
difficulty because <laughs> it does say, well, I don't have the verse up there, but it does say when, when, when you pass through the waters. So when you go through these difficult times, when you pass through the waters, when uh, you walk through the fire, those are just images that the writer is painting for us of difficulty, floodwaters, fire, all things that show us great difficulty. He says, though you walk through that, you not get burnt or you won't be overwhelmed. I will be with you. That's the point. God's saying, I'm with you through that. Even though you will go through difficulty, I will be with you. Psalm 23, right? The famous psalm that a lot of people memorize, right? The, the great shepherd, our Lord, right? It says, Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What is, why is the reason? He says, for you are with me. You are with me. And when we are going through great pain and any level of suffering, if you're a believer, we have to see, uh, hear God saying, I'm with you. Come close, right? And I know, I do know that there can be the temptation when we go through great difficulty and pain to turn away and to run the other way. I, uh, nobody likes pain, right? <laughs> and so we have questions that we don't always get answered and we, we don't know the answers to, but, but we have to get, get back to kind of what the title of this message is, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. And uh, we have to take comfort that God is with us. Now, um, Elizabeth Elliot, in one of her talks, mentioned a quote from this guy uh, or this person uh, by the name of Erskine. How's that for a first name? Erskine. Erskine Stewart. Listen to this. A very simple quote says, joy is not in the absence of suffering. Joy, excuse me, joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. Joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. In other words, you know, and this bears out with Scripture, okay? Uh, in his presence is fullness of joy, it says in the Scriptures, okay? So, so we know that's true. And I think sometimes we just think joy is going to be a certain circumstance, all right? Or joy is going to be the lack of trouble, or joy is going to be the lack of pain. No, 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 no. Joy is actually experiencing the presence of God. And where is he when difficult things are happening? Right there with us as believers. He is with us, okay? Uh, we, may, we may even in our minds and our hearts feel distant, but God is right there. Okay? God is right there. And that's something we need to hear him saying, I'm with you, walk with me. Okay? And now the next thing that I think God is saying, which kind of dovetails with this one, as he is with us, uh, we need to know, know him better in that suffering and trust him more. Know him better and trust him more. And again, if you talk to any of these uh, you know, people that have been through great difficulty who are believers, they will tell you their walk with God deepened. They won't say it was easy. They won't say that they never had lots of questions. They won't say that they never lost a lot of sleep. Okay, but they will say their walk with God deepened to a level it had not been before without that suffering. Okay, and so they knew God. They, they knew him not just intellectually, but they knew him experientially in their walk. Okay, God met them in that place of pain 
and they got to know him better. You know what's interesting is you go back to the book of Job, <clears throat> and um, there's a lot, of, a lot of talking going on. Job has a lot of questions, and he doesn't hold back from asking God, why is this happening, okay? Um, and I think that's, uh, we see the, in the Psalms, we see the psalmist expressing their, their, um, their troubles to God or asking even why. Or when, God, are you going to come through or whatever? And I think this is fine, right? It's, it's not irreverent to express our heartfelt desire for things to be different. Um, but, and so Job was uh, asking lots of questions. But you know what? God did not answer any of those questions. <clears throat> Do you know what God does? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, if you go to Job 38, verse 4. Job 38, verse 4 says this. Now, here's God. Now speaking, and he says this to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, where were you? And then he goes on, and just keeps saying, have you commanded the morning since your days began? <laughs> He's kind of like putting him in his place, right? And rather than answering his questions, God is revealing himself to him and saying, this is who I am. Know me. And I think this is a good example that in suffering, God wants to show us who he is more than anything else. He wants us to grow closer to him, to know him better. And that, I think, really is a byproduct of, you know, a lot of the things God is saying to us in our pain is know me in this, trust me in this, right? And to the trust me part, if you go to um, Job chapter 13, Job 13, this is probably one of the more uh, famous verses in Job. Job 13, verse 15. Job 13, 15, it says, um, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though, he's talking about God, though he slay me, he's hurting me. Right? And so if you understand the biblical view of God's sovereignty and that he's in control of everything, including the suffering you're going through, you can say this, though he slay me. I will hope in him. Or other translations say, I will trust him. Though he slay me, I will trust him. And uh, Job saying that. In fact, I, I, um, I encourage you to, uh, if you want to hear this expressed in a song, uh, Shane and Shane wrote a song about this. It's called, Though He Slay Me. Um, and it, but it's just, it's just a good reminder of, it's, it's, like, it's like the, yeah, God, I'm hurting. Uh, I'm in a lot of pain right now. I'm enduring a lot of suffering, but I will trust you. It, you know, you can have both, right? And that's, and that's the reality. That's, that's, where, where, that's right where we live, okay? Um, and so, so one of the things that God is not only saying is I'm with you, but he's saying know me more intimately, draw near to me, and trust me. Grow in your trust of me. Another thing on the aspect of trust and an example in scriptures. Um, how many of you kids have heard about the story of 
the three young people that were put in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Does any of you kids have friends named Shadrach? Anybody have a friend named Meshach? Anybody have a friend named Abednego? Yeah, me neither. Those are interesting names. I think Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You know what happened was these um, people, the King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a really bad guy, he was, he was trying to get these three individuals to bow down to a statue that he made of himself, right? He thought so well of himself, he just thought everybody should bow down to a statue of himself. And these young people, uh, they knew God. They had a relationship with God, and they said, no, our God doesn't want us to worship any God but the one true God. So they said, we're not going to do it. And that king says, well, so if you're going to defy my little rule I've made up, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. Yeehaw. Okay? So, so here we go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the three names of the people. Nebuchadnezzar is getting ready to put them in the furnace. Okay? And here's what they say. Here's what the three young people say. Listen, um, they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. In other words, they say, we know our God. He's more powerful than anything. If he wants to save us out of this, he could do it. Okay, they say that. And then they say, um, uh, they say in verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. In other words, they trusted God. This is what trust God is. You know, you might pray for something and certainly, you know, God can do anything. In a sense, he can answer any prayer, you know, that's, with, that's, that's not evil, okay? You know what I mean? He can, he can do anything. But sometimes he chooses not to do that, right? Sometimes we ask for prayers of healing, and he does it. Sometimes we ask for prayers of healing, and he does it. And what these three young people were doing is saying, you know, our God is able to, but even if he doesn't, we'll worship him. We trust him. And that's what trust is, really, isn't it? When we're enduring pain and suffering, and, and by all means, we should ask God, you know, ask him to take it away. Ask him to heal. Ask him to change the circumstances. You know, ask. Doesn't the scriptures uh, tell us to ask, seek, and knock, and keep asking? There's nothing wrong with that. But it's also something that we need to have in our mind. These guys were not lacking faith. They were saying, if God has a different plan, that's okay with us. That's faith. That's faith. Okay? Right? And uh, that's hard, too. That's hard too, because like you know, you know, if you're if you have a loved one and they're dying, right, and you're asking for healing and they don't receive it, that's tough. Trusting God would have to be in that circumstance, coming to the place where you say, "But if you don't do it, God, we trust you still." That's tough. That's tough. Um, but this is the God we know, right, and so. Uh, in our pain, in our suffering, God's telling us, walk with me. I'm right with you. And he also says, know me better and trust me. One last thing I wanted to share with you that God, uh, I think, is saying to us in our suffering, and that is, I'm enough. I'm enough. 
Um, in other words, we're not so caught on the outcome being changed. It's about him, right? Uh, it's about him. Didn't one of those other verses we read talk about how, you know, that it's about God's glory and about him having his way and whatever he's going to do in our lives? In a sense, one of those verses in Romans 8.18 was saying, God, it's, it's for your glory, whatever you're going to do, even our suffering. And so um, it's about that he is enough for us. Uh, let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Now, this is a, a familiar passage maybe to some of you. The apostle Paul, had, was in, he was enduring some suffering. Some believe that he had some kind of an, a, a, um, a sickness or affliction, okay? And like any one of us would do, he prayed and asked God to heal him, to remove this. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And after three times, God did not heal him of it, but he did have a word for him. He did have something he wanted to say to him. And this is where we, should, we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It says, but he said to me, so Paul's going to tell us what God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's in quotations in my Bible. And that tells me that that's what he's saying God said. Okay? And so, though we should ask for God to change our difficult circumstances, and we can ask that, we may ask for healing, whatever it is we need. Um, but uh, sometimes the answer is no. Uh, but we can experience his grace to endure the suffering. Um, you know, have you ever talked to someone or, uh, or watched, in a sense, someone who is enduring great suffering, who's a believer? And people are asking, like, how are you doing this? How are you just not so mad at God? How are you even joyful in this time when I, I can't think of anything to be happy about or joyful about? And they would say, it would boil down to this. It's the grace of God. God's helping me. That's the only explanation, right? Is, is that they are experiencing what Paul says here, that, the, the, that God's grace has sufficiently supplied their inward being, their, their, their spirit, if you will, their, their physical strength even at times, right? To endure that difficult thing, whatever it is. And I love this fact that he says, for my power is, is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect or more complete, it says, in our weakness. When we're weak, when we're enduring these difficulties and painful things of life, for whatever one of the reasons you might, it might be that we listed initially, Paul is saying that God will empower us in our weakness. It'll empower us, okay? And again, that's the only explanation you can have uh, for somebody that is, is, is even joyful in uh, great suffering. And so then Paul continues to say, he says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this is what God is telling us today. I think just that 
You know, he's saying, listen, though God may not eliminate the source of the suffering, he is enough. He is enough in it and through it, okay? Now, I just want to end with this, which is really just the title of the message. Um, you know, what we should come away with this, wrapped in all of this, is basically, I trust you, Lord. I, I trust you. You know what you're doing. I don't even understand it. Uh, on, a, on a human level, I, might not even, I don't even like it, maybe, you know? Like uh, in my flesh, I don't like it. Um, and, you know, because if you like pain, something's wrong with you, right? Uh, it's just that way. It's that, you know, even we may not, uh, we can say, God, I trust you. And that's, I think, where we need to be, okay, as believers. And uh, we grow in that trust, like in any relationship. We grow in that trust. So let me just uh, share with you two verses here. Um, I already mentioned verse 18 before, Romans 8. Romans 8, 18 and 28. And then we'll close. Because this is really the essence of trust uh, here. And one is, or this is really kind of, I guess, trust kind of exemplified. Romans 8, 18. The first part of that verse says, listen to what Paul says. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Did you get that? He's saying, listen, if you were to compare, you know, put a number on it, if you will, the level of suffering we're having right now to what is the glory to be revealed to us in the kingdom of God when Christ comes back, it, it doesn't even hold a candle to it, <laughs> okay? He's like, it doesn't even compare. And so that's trust, isn't it? It, it, it? It's faith. It's trust in the future that he has marked out for us as believers. Because what's going to happen, you know, uh, you read the book of Revelation, you see there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Okay? And you read the description of that environment, and I can't think of anybody that wouldn't want to be there. Okay? Uh, you know, no more suffering, no more crying, no more sadness, right? No more viruses, hallelujah, right? No more whatever that is not good, right? That's entered into this world because of sin. No more sin. We, won't, we don't even know what a day like is without sinning, but we'll know that day. And so this is a trust, is like what Paul's saying. He says, I consider these sufferings um, of the present time, not worthy to compare to that. Now, go to, go to verse 28 in Romans 8. Romans 8, 28 says, is a, is a verse that many people probably know or have heard quoted, one of those coffee cup verses, right? And we know, and we know that, though, that for those who love God, they stop. Not every promise is for everybody, okay? Who is this promise for? Those who love God. And we know that for those, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Okay? And what you and I deem good is not always what is good for us, right? We don't understand that. We don't understand, again, the whys of everything, all the suffering that we endure. But we have to know God is in control Right? He wants us to grow close to him in those things. He wants us to hear him say, I'm with you. He wants us to hear 
him say, trust me, know me deeper. And he wants us to know that he's enough. Okay? That's all on this theme of trusting God. Right? Let's pray. Pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And maybe some of us in a very difficult place, maybe some right in the midst of just uh, terrible suffering. And so, Lord, I pray if that's where someone is today, Lord, that they would trust you. Uh, If they haven't put their faith in Christ, I pray that they would transfer their trust from themselves to what Christ has done on the cross to forgive their sin. And then to be able to enter into this promise that says that you work all things together for good to those who, who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, I pray too, just uh, help us, Lord, to, um, to draw near to you in the midst of pain and suffering. Grant us the grace. Grant us by your grace to have the ability to draw near, not to run away from you, but to cling to you, to know you better, even in our suffering and pain. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.